at Combank Health, we understand that health professionals set up a practice to look after patients, not take care of practice admin. That's why our new Smart Health system lets you streamline your payments by handling rebates and reporting, giving you more time for your patients, yourself and the ones you love. Search Combank Smart Health to find out more. Applications subject to conditions, fees, charges and lending criteria. Commonwealth Bank of Australia, ABN 48123124 and Australian Credit Licence 234945. I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well connected. Excuse me, could I pay for my meal? Oh, of course. Just having a moment with my Combank smart terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the Combank Smart Terminal. Mm, It is a nice terminal. Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Biripai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. What a great honour it is for me as a director of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine to have the opportunity to invite you to come along and hear about our discussions in prevention. And I want to share with you what the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine is about. It's an interdisciplinary society of health professionals working towards improved prevention, management and treatment of chronic, complex and lifestyle-related conditions. Lifestyle-related includes behavioural, societal, environmental and other factors. And lifestyle medicine is a rapidly growing discipline with colleagues and societies in over 30 countries around the world. As a director, I'm very proud of this team. They won the NGO Award in 2018. And I hope you enjoy our Medicubes insights into all things prevention at today's discussion. Hi, everybody. Uh, We are at the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine Conference in Cairns, meeting for the very first time face-to-face as the Medicubes team. And we're doing a little experiment here and seeing if we can actually capture a podcast recording and bring that out uh, to our audience. We have uh, a good number of subscribers to uh, the podcast. So uh, let's get started. We are talking about three key areas today, and that is around advocacy, policy, and prevention in primary care. And they kind of sound like pretty dry topics, don't oh, they? Oh, like, do we need references? <laughs> Endnotes fired up for today's podcast because it felt very academic when we started putting it together. But really exciting topics that I can confess may have been done poolside yesterday. I don't think we've ever planned a podcast in such lovely tropical surroundings as poolside. Um, But we got together yesterday to talk about what we're going to talk about. 
Absolutely. So we kind of curated a number of prevention tools that are commonly used or not so commonly used in primary care. And when we started thinking about the topic of prevention in primary care, what we're kind of landing on is that this is the bit that's kind of sits behind all of the acute care, all of the immediacy that GPs and primary care teams really deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And filling in that prevention bit is always the bit that seems to get tacked onto the end. And we know that that's what we really want to try to turn around so that we're looking at that hospital prevention and really getting better health outcomes for our populations, for our communities, so that we get better outcomes really all together. And so uh, we're looking at a number of apps. Kim, do you want to talk about the RACGP Healthy Habits app? Yeah, I'd really love to. So I obviously, with my health coaching hat on, have always played in this space, you know, utilising item numbers that may be not utilised so frequently. Mm. So, you know, looking at my nursing role and utilising 10997 or 10987 item numbers and not just engaging that in a chronic disease management, but in a separate console and having that. So I'm having a touch point with a client, having great engagement about self-management and agreed stuff. And that's been rolled out for a number of different clinics and clinics that now have workforce issues and also say, I don't really have capacity to have my nurse doing some coaching. Thankfully, the RACGP have approached myself and Simon Matthews from Well Coaches and said, you know what, we test drove this RACGB Healthy Habits app and we've got some feedback and our working party have come back and said we need more behaviour change language in there and so I'm grateful that they came to us and said, can you rework the language in there? So fortunately we've re-tapped into different visual aids, we've also really redesigned the conversation guides to have behaviour change language in there and what the beauty of an app is, is that clients can obviously download it, record their information, and not only can they do that, but the GPs or the clinicians that are utilising this with their clients can push one-way information, one-way communication to their clients. So I think we're starting to build the workforce with software solutions and other ways of engaging our audience, which is always fabulous to layer those things on. With APNA, the Australian Primary Nurse Association, I was involved in a risk screening tool. And again, it started off as paper-based, you know, back pre-COVID when you could touch paper and paper. Paper still has a place. <laughs> I still think it has a place. I'm a tech company and I love does. my paper. It does. And, you know, they went, maybe we need to start looking at how can we push this information out to a client. So again, utilising software, they ended up using the Healthily app to push that information out to clients and say, fill this in. And if you are at risk of getting disease or having a health assessment performed, bring this in and nudge your clinicians to actually have some good work done, getting some lifestyle and behaviour change done before you get chronic disease. And that's what they particularly targeted. Also, I've been involved for three years with the Murrumbidgee PHN doing weight management and lifestyle clinics. And the beauty of that is we ended up having coaches not only in the nursing space, but we had it in GPs, pharmacy, allied health. So we had a coaching culture 
engaging across the whole team. That went over three years. And the clinic that told me that they would have the least engagement from the audience had the best results, and that was with an AMS. And so, you know, that ripple effect of touching one person and engaging a whole community, that was what came out of it. So, yeah, it's been some really cool stuff. What about from you, Chris? What do you see in prevention that's really useful? Oh, I think it's been... The last three years, everyone kind of had to change their focus to get through COVID. And what I've been excited about is that for better or for worse, it made people realize the value of their chronic disease management programs and all their ways of working because it stopped and they could see the patient outcomes deteriorate and never be able to do that in a study. You know, they wouldn't get ethics approval. It wouldn't be able to happen. Suddenly we had this storm where I know in our clinic, our whole focus shifted, our nurse workforce shifted to vaccination Mm -hmm. and things that we used to do and take for granted in primary care stopped. And as I said, we'd never get ethics approval to try something like that, but we're actually able to see it. And our docs and our team have bought into the fact that they saw what happened when we stopped doing these things and the value of it. Mm. Um, so I think some really interesting data around that has been pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I'm really curious to hear a little bit more too about the notion of shared medical appointments mm. and yarn-ups as well. Yes. And you've been quite heavily involved in that also. I have. And, you know, the, the great thing that I've seen, particularly um, from my work as a director and hearing the shared medical yarn up story, I'm not sure if, if people haven't seen or heard of that before. There's a lot of information on the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine website that you can go and have a look at in terms of the evidence base that sits behind it. But I'm really been delighted to be involved in the Aboriginal Roundtable discussions and seeing the great work that Waminda has been doing down in Nowra. We've also started to see Orange has started to develop the same model of care as well as Armadale. And Rifka and I have been involved in a, in a practice up in the Tablelands here. So we're really hoping that they utilise that as well. It's you know, a way of delivering care when you are low on workforce and optimising your workforce to deliver to their mm. scope of practice, to deliver in a way that's appropriate, culturally appropriate as well, to see whether or not, you know, sharing and being relatable and saying, you know, I see you having the same issues that I do and you do, and how can we be assisted? What ideas and notions do you have and setting goals for yourself? So that's been a really great thing to see going from not having an MBS structure behind it, but in recent times, there's been MBS that sits behind it. And, you know, not only share medical appointments and share medical yarn-ups, but also more case conferencing. And Rifka mm-hmm. and I have been really involved in that. Teams have been doing a lot of huddling over COVID times. And we're saying, hey, what about what we do in case conferencing? That could be really great use as well in, in this prevention space. You know, preventing people going into hospital, preventing things that heart health checks can be really useful for. And Ruth, I'd invite you to talk about your involvement with heart health checks. Yeah, so with the heart health checks, which was really a program developed very solidly by the Heart Foundation, recognising the need for preventative activities and screening to pick up the undiagnosed. So this item number is 699, as far as the, the Medicare item number is concerned. This really taps into a population that isn't diagnosed with any uh, heart disease markers. But the Heart Health Check is a really comprehensive way, a checklist of a very sort of solid, systemised way of ensuring that all of the cardiovascular risk elements are taken into account. From there, risk can be assessed and therefore management plans can be put in place to address any identified heart problems from there. 
So again, I think the structure around the Medicare benefits schedule, recognising the importance of that activity as a preventive activity, is now really coming to the fore. And practices are really only just starting to look at what does that mean for their teams and how can they get their nurses involved in a lot of that pre-screening to minimise the time that the GP might have to spend on taking biometric assessments, which can be very effectively done by other team members, such as mm -hmm. nurses. And that collaboration around, you know, who does what within the practice, but also ensuring that that information is translated back to patients in a way that's understood by them. So really sort of enveloping in the health literacy into that as well. So it's a big piece of work and it's really starting to gain traction and the Heart Foundation is, is keeping very close stats yeah. together with Medicare on seeing how that's uh, tracking. And I can see Chris is itching to come oh, to no, the I just conversation. Think, I, just think, <laughs> I, just, I just love that there's work being done that we're getting paid for. Yes. Like it's, it's important that that is recognised. Mm. Um, but I think the thing that, we've seen is that, um, you know, we all, for accreditation in primary care, we have to do continuous quality improvement. And smart practices say, we're going to improve our patient health outcomes by doing smart health, healthy heart checks, but we're also going to make it our accreditation, one of our quality improvements. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a little bit lazy here, but if we can do the same thing and get counted two or three times, that's pretty amazing. But also we know how tight margins are in, in general practice at the moment in primary care. And these item numbers are not amazingly remunerated, but well-remunerated item numbers. So it's a sort of a win. We have a quality improvement, we have a well-remunerated item number, but also we have better patient outcomes that involves our team. That to me is a great model for moving forward. So I think Absolutely. a lot of practices do it as And there. the second yeah. thing about that is that now the heart health check can be layered on top of other item numbers too. So for patients coming in for their sore toe or sore leg, it would be in my case, and there is recognition that the patient is eligible for a heart health check. They can do that at the same time, whereas previously Medicare was absolutely the barrier in doing a lot of that sort of preventive work because it couldn't be laid on. Worth doing them the there same. was yeah. no financial recognition of that and it all really became too hard. All right, we have a question from the audience. So thinking about the change in the structure of how clinics are run, for example, and we're looking at outcomes, that's what we want to achieve. And coming from a tech perspective, do we have a way where we can measure, so using data, surveys out to patients afterwards, um, even if it's like ongoing surveys where they're clicking a link and filling out, for example, a DAS or something like that, where we can then go back to the powers that be and go, look, this is what we're doing. This is the outcomes that we're achieving this is how much money you're going to save in the long run to be able to bring that, the change in policy that we need, because they're not going to change policy unless there's a dollar associated with it. So is there something you can integrate? There's, there's, there's three or four tools that I know of that are out there. They're all in various stages of coming to market. New South Wales is leading the way around this, with what the state government are doing there with some of the tools. But yeah, there's a couple around that we can talk about. I don't have them here with me today that are doing that. I think the biggest thing we've seen is that to make it a continuous quality improvement, to be able to tick that box, you need to basically do your PDSA. You need to examine what have the data shown by introducing this, what has been the outcome. And I think we need to not overcomplicate it with this sort of massive thing. Like we have in our software, we show you everyone coming in today who's eligible. And when Shane Warne passed away, a lot of our clinics said, right, this month, we're focusing on a healthy health check. 
I feel he's going to go wrong. My tongue cannot get around it. And one clinic referred two people on. And there's no scientific measure for that. There's no, you know, it's, it's haven't overcomplicated it with lots of things, but that's an amazing outcome. So I think it's a bit of a balancing But yeah, there are some tools out there. A lot of them are now getting integrated into the practice management system, which is good because yeah. whenever we have data here and data here and for a pair of listening, I'm moving my hands around wildly and people don't know what to do. With it. So I think having it all come back to the patient record as a source of truth is really, really important. So I know New South Wales is leading the way with a few of the projects going on down there. And it does seem that the data uh, or the technical capability to actually be more demonstrative of the proof of when we invest here, we get outcomes Mm. there. Mm. That's still being developed. It's it's not as advanced as what we would like it to to be. And of course, there's also the difficulty of directly linking one intervention with one outcome. And that's the ever presenting problem in healthcare, isn't it? Nothing is simple. we're working with specialists at the moment and they know that when they do this, they should see someone twice. Like it's because that's what they do when they nail that procedure or they nail that and they know their workflow for it. Primary care, someone coming with three things and what has been what to do what. I always get very nervous when people say outcomes and measurements because it's sort of complex and messy and, and complicated for a reason. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I find a practice level where a practice knows its patients and has those tangible outcomes is still the best way to get your team involved because they'll know Barb and they know the fact we did the hearty health check, got Barb in to see a specialist, that will get people energised to yeah. keep working on the process. And there's been prems and proms, haven't yeah. there, like as measures from particularly the projects that I've been involved in from preventive health through to complex need. They use a prem and a prom or they might use a paid study or something like that or they might even do a survey, getting the provider satisfaction as well as the patient satisfaction to kind of capture that outcome. We also use another one, particularly for the Murrumbidgee PHM when we did the prevention work, which was um, (laughs) a Coop Wonka chart, right? And that had like little kind of infographics on it that a client would actually say their quality of life measure pre-intervention and post-intervention. So you can utilise those sorts of things and capture your data that way. And I think, you know, quality of life is a pretty amazing outcome, isn't it? That we might not change necessarily a biometric or a blood measure, but if you can change someone's quality of life, that's really impactful. So really be mindful of what you're trying to capture and and the reasons and rationale why. And and that's why I said before, I I like to really tease out my 10997 and 10987s and do self-managed degree device. And when people say to me, you know, where would you do your lifestyle medicine? I'm like, health assessments, absolutely do them there. And, you know, that's what we did with that APNA risk screening tool. We went, right, you've identified as high risk. Do you fit into that 40 to 49 or the 45 to 49? What are we able to capture? Is it a heart health check? You know, this was pre those days, but we can absolutely do that now. But don't forget that you have these underutilised item numbers that you can also co-claim with a GP consult and that continuity of care. Like if I saw someone and gave them lifestyle or, you know, self-managed degree goals, I wanted the doctor to absolutely come in and have that handover so that every other time they saw another team member, they could follow on that conversation. Right? I don't want to be just it being me having those conversations. It needs to be that layered effect for sure. And I think what that speaks of too, which is so important in that space of prevention, is the need to have really tight and well-developed systems and processes Mm -hmm. that underpin the everyday activities of primary care. And this is what we find in our travels, isn't it? That the practices that kind of get 
quite energised by the opportunities that preventive care can provide for their cohort, they are far more likely to have better systems and processes in place. Staff are more aligned to what we're trying to achieve as an overall. So that sort of chaotic element that we see in many general practices too tends to be dampened a bit because there is method to the madness and there are systems and processes that will pick up these patients with their eligibility and we know what we're doing, what those pathways are. And that's kind of a bit of the, the magic that we need to continue to introduce to practices on how to really get better at systematic and consistent care. Because if it is a little bit higgledy-piggledy, then you know we're, we're going to get poorer outcomes. And part of the issue there too is that practitioners, especially general practitioners, are often very embedded to their own ways of working. And so that notion of can we come to some sort of agreement on what are the best processes for managing these cohorts and these systems, that needs to also be better accepted because without that alignment, we're going to continue to have individual approaches and then it just gets just really difficult to predict what those outcomes might be and, you know, the chaos kind of uh, ensues too. And those, those processes and procedures attract good people. Mm. Like workforce is the number one challenge I will put out there at the moment in primary care. People, when they see amazing processes and they see it being followed through and they see a calm team using processes, are like, I want to be part of that team. Not mm. this crazy over here. <laughs> Once again, podcast listeners, I'm using my hands. Um, <laughs> don't need room to start narrating my hand movement during podcast episodes. I think good processes and procedures attract good people, but also our system financially will pay for good processes because it generates billing. It'll pay for picking up the 510997s today because you generate a billing event from that. And when you're working in chaos, those things just too late and slide by. So I think there's, there's always a cost to do something and you just got to do those numbers to make sure the benefits are there at the end. I've also had a, um, a GP who I really appreciated her approach. She said, you know, I'm a mixed billing practice. And she said, I want to do some dedicated health coaching with my clients. And she said, I really want to focus my attention on picking up obesity clients. So she actually schedules a session and she says to her clients, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars. You will come and see me six times. And this is with the process. And I guarantee you that we will make some, some dents here. If I see you for quick medicine, it's not going to happen. If I see you for an hour and you get those six sessions with me, absolutely, we're going to make some changes. So again, just saying, I'm not going to be, you know, reliant on the MBS structure. My clients are really keen for this. So it's not a handout, it's a hand up. We heard this the other day, didn't we, Rivka? We did, and not. we kind of went, oh, hallelujah, that's the one that really sticks, uh, a hand up. Our doctors say to our over 75s, when I see you for incidental care, I don't get to do everything we get to do in an over 75 health assessment with a nurse. So for me to provide the best care for you, I need you to go to that appointment. Mm. And that's truthful and honest. And people don't argue with that as an honest you know, uh, approach to it and patients resonate with that as well. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice 
for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minikubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.